Hi, my name is Steve Warren, and I want to welcome you to this podcast. I'm believing today you'll be filled with faith, you'll be energized by hope, and you'll feel loved as this message seeks to transform and empower your life. God bless you as you listen to this. Right. Wow, thank you. Come on, let's just give God a hand. Let's just thank Jesus. Amazing. Why don't you sit down? You can... Uh... I'm not sure you heard that, but I, was, I wasn't saying, applaud me, but I was saying, let's give Jesus a hand. Because <laughs> in case you didn't hear me, that would be weird if I would go, yeah, let's give me a hand, right? And uh, I love Pastor Lisby. She is a hugger. And, um, and that's, uh, right? Are you, are you still a hugger? Yeah, yeah. And, um, uh, and uh, you know, this church is really special to us, and it's, real, it's really special for us to be here. Uh, we realize there's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears that uh, goes into building churches. And this church, we sort of had a, have a, per, a personal first-hand experience with the sacrifice that, got it, that, that went into this place. And it's such a privilege for me uh, to see uh, what Pastor Stephen Lisby have, have done to uh, the whole community, together with the team. And, and uh, the church has grown so much since we left. It has become so much more rich in culture and diversity and community and um, and all these uh, things and uh, you know you can just really see that you guys are reaching this city and this area I love the fact we used to be I've done about everything in this church except for kids church I did offer but nobody wanted me but uh, <laughs> but uh, you know the, like to see the youth uh, thriving on their Sipka which is amazing and you know a lot of a lot of the key leaders in this church used, used to be in my youth uh, team which is which is just a real privilege to see, and uh, it's just it's just amazing. Um, I met my wife here; uh, she's a Kiwi, uh, which, if you don't understand that, she's from New Zealand. <laughs> I'm not married to an actual Kiwi, um, and um, and so I met my wife here, uh, imported her uh, into the Netherlands, and um, and it's just um, and my life really got changed in this place. So can we just give Pastor Lisby, uh, Steve, and the whole team here? A major hand, and um, church in the Hague, by the way, is going well. Um, it is, it's been fun, um, and uh, we, we've got a we've secured a place um, that we are hiring a really beautiful theater, um, just um, just a couple of hundred yards away from uh, this the um, uh, the Houses of Parliament. Um, it's easy, accessible by parking, even though sometimes we have to sort of keep telling people that because uh, it's free parking. And we're, we're praying and planning to start a church in Rotterdam, which um, so if you know people in that region who are interested in becoming a launch uh, team, uh, please do let them know that we're doing that and we'll be putting out a bit more stuff during the course of this year. And, uh, and it's the city at the beach, which is amazing. And so, uh, and so we bring you greetings from the sunny side of the Netherlands. <laughs> Just kidding. There's no, actually, there's, there's actually more sun at the beach. But anyway, um, <laughs> I don't want to entice you, but um, it's a great place to live. Um, and so, beautiful. Um, I would like to, um, if I've been asked actually quite specifically, this thing keeps doing this, so um, uh, quite specifically is to share a part of our story realizing that I only have two and a half hours for this uh, message to unpack this. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, about 35 minutes. And, um, and so I won't be able to do it full justice, but I, I, I want to take you on a bit of a journey, um, w- which has quite a bit of information, but the reason why, why I want to do that is, um, is because I feel it is important to 
uh, give you a little bit of context of the aspects that we've been walking through. Um, because I feel when we talk about, and the subject is about God and suffering, and I feel when we talk about suffering in church, um, it needs to be done with a lot of wisdom. Because sometimes in a well-meaning way, we can say God is good all the time. And we do believe, right, that God is good all the time. But sometimes we can try to encourage people, um, but it can actually, or to believe and to have faith, but it can actually load up a, a bit of burden on people's lives. Because people seem to have this feeling, especially people with a more religious background, this, this feeling that if something wrong, something, something that, feels, that doesn't feel natural or right happens in my life, it must have something to do with me. Even though on a deeper level we understand that, that, it, that, that that's um, complete nonsense, we do have these subliminal messages that we receive that, um, that might come out of our insecurities or whatever it is. It might come out, out of our religious experience that there's something wrong and I must, have, um, I must have made a mistake somewhere down the line. And I really want to uh, help you with a bit of thinking. Um, and so um, why don't we just do that, okay? So I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start reading a scripture, which is, which is a scripture that, that is not being quoted a lot. You'll see why in a second. Um, but uh, what, I get, what, I want, what I hope you will get out of this scripture is that this is something that Jesus says in Luke, uh, Luke chapter 13, um, that this, the questions that Jesus was dealing with when it comes to religion and God and suffering are the very same questions that you and I are dealing with today in our society. And it's important to, 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 to state that because sometimes the thinking goes that Jesus' society was a lot more simple, simple-minded, less complicated. I would actually go as far as to say that there was probably a lot more suffering in his society than, than, than there is in our society. And yet he was still credible and his message was still received in his time. And so he, um, so, so he, he, um, let me just read it. Uh, Luke uh, 13, verse 1. Um, now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate's, Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. In other words, Pilate had killed them. And, um, um, and then Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse, worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? In other words, he is saying, and this stepped into their mindset, that if an injustice, if something, something unjust happened, then their religious thinking was that they must have done something wrong. And I feel that religious communities think that way because we all need an explanation when it comes to suffering. Because, because suffering feels unnatural. And I want to get into that a little bit more. But he says... Do you think that these were worse sinners? In other words, do you think that they deserve this punishment by sin? Because this is one of the reasons why they mentioned this to him. Um, and then he says, I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will perish. Now, Jesus is not threatening to kill them. Who is grateful for that, anybody? Um, but what he's saying is, you are looking at this from a very earthly, very natural, very timely perspective. But I want to mention to you, I want to elevate the conversation to a more eternal perspective. I want to mention that unless we, we actually come to know um, a way, um, um, come to know Jesus to be quite specific, unless we repent from our sins, unless we put our trust and faith in Jesus, we will all die like these people. And it is important to realize because even though 
the, the statement is pretty harsh, or it seems pretty harsh, it is important to realize that sometimes we are so focused on, on, our, or on our earthly experience here and now that I think the, the conversation about suffering needs to be elevated to a more eternal uh, experience. And what happens in eternity is slightly or way more important than what happens in our personal experience. I want to get into that. But anyway, um, and then he mentions another disaster. He says, or those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them. We're going to have to assume that that happened. Um, Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? He says, I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Strange scripture. Do you agree? (laughs) But it is. but, But the interesting thing is Jesus is dealing with two areas of suffering that probably summarizes all areas of suffering. He's talking about natural disasters. Um, it could include health situations. He's talking about situations that people go through, and we, we ask ourselves the question, why would a good God allow people or good people to go through something like this? How can a good God exist if this happens, right? A tower fell on people. It seemed random, and it was probably random, and, but people were looking for an explanation. What about this situation? And then he talks about human uh, suffering um, that is being um, instigated by other people. So he's talking about unrighteousness. And so in our world, in our lives, we see people being treated unfairly, and we think, How, why would God not intervene if he's good, right? And we see... People that, that, uh, uh, things that happen to people when we feel, why does God not do anything? And Jesus includes these two disasters. And I want to let you know, Jesus was dealing with these very same issues that you and I were dealing with today. It is important to talk about these things in church because there are people maybe sitting here today who feel that re- a religious experience or a Christian experience is not relevant for them because they don't have an, because you might not be able to console the existence of a good God and suffering in the same space. There are also people who start off their life in faith, but through tragedy and circumstances, they, I've seen people lose their relationship with church and their relationship with God because they couldn't console. They couldn't, um, um, they, they, they couldn't see a consistency between the message they hear and the experience they experience, so therefore it must not be real. And so I want to attack this or tackle this subject from two different vantage points. Um, which is, first of all, slightly more philosophical, slightly more theoretical, you could say, and then more personal. Um, the reason why I want to attack, uh, why I want to take these two vantage points is because I, I personally believe that it is important when people deal with suffering in their lives that there has to be a level of personal, uh, of, of personal experience when it comes to answering these questions. We can never just give them scripture and quote, um, God will work all things for good. Uh, especially at the moment of the freshness, when the freshness of the pain is still there. Um, we have to understand that when it comes to suffering, it is always deeply personal. At the same time, though, we cannot be so, we cannot get so entangled in the personal pain of our personal lives and the lives of other people around us that we neglect the fact that there's a healthy way of thinking and there's an unhealthy way of thinking and that sometimes people get trapped up into the wrong uh, lines of thinking. And so it is also important for us in time, not immediately, but in time to to understand and to sort of safeguard a, 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 a thinking because what I found out in my situation, I'm going to talk about that, is that There were a lot of answers that I just simply didn't have in my contemporary faith. 
And so uh, let me show you. Uh, I think you just saw a picture of my family. Um, this is actually Photoshop because Elisa at this stage was doing the peace sign or the victory sign because our family is not able to sit still for more than a minute. Um, also, there's, a, there's some, <coughs> there's some uh, ear <coughs> warmers floating around uh, behind my back. Do you see those? And so, uh, so here we have Nicola, um, Elisa, who is photoshopped in, uh, our young, uh, middle daughter. Then we've got Emily, our oldest daughter, nine years old. And then we've got JJ, Jaden. We're looking for a soccer sponsorship because he's got talent. Um, and so, uh, this is our family in the Hague. Beautiful. And, um, so when we, pl- when we were about to announce that we were planning our church, um, I was working here in this church, in this community. I was actually upstairs in the office. And I received a phone call that Emily, our, uh, at that stage, our only daughter. You can take us off the screen now. It's fine. Um, but Emily, our only uh, daughter, was being diagnosed uh, with an, a syndrome called Angelman syndrome. The syndrome basically means that it's a um, heavy learning disability, um, a mental disability. Uh, it, it means that she um, is... Um, unable uh, to formulate a lot of words. Uh, she understands more than she can say. Currently, she's able to speak, to say four words, the so Dutch words for Papa, Mama, Church, and Cake, um, which are, I think you would have to create the four essentials in life, right? Uh, Papa, Mama, Church, and Cake, and good food, and everything. And so she's got that down, but, um, and there's also some other aspects and some other skills and sleeping uh, issues, uh, et cetera, this, which we got to experience later. Um, I think when it comes to this, when it comes to news like this, it was obviously heartbreaking. It was very difficult for me to hear. It was extremely difficult to, uh, I couldn't even share this news with my wife. Uh, we just went to the hospital together and we heard the whole, um, the whole news and everything. And, um, uh, I, think, I think people often think that it's just an emotional thing. Well, when you go through something like that, it, yes, it's very emotional. Um, I think we are passed through a lot of those emotions, but it's also quite practical. Um, there's, there's a lot of practical things that are still like it influences our everyday life. And, uh, and it's hard work, I tell you. And, um, and so um, I want to speak into that a little bit because I had to dig in and I had to dig deep. And it, to be quite honest, it took me some time to sort of face the reality of the situation. And, um, and I sort of had to find some answers. And so one of the books that really helped me, and if you are in a, in a similar situation, I would really recommend a book from Tim Keller called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. It's an amazing book. Uh, another book when it comes to this uh, topic that we're, top, uh, that, we're, um, uh, that we're speaking about today is uh, a book for, also from Tim, Tim Keller, which is The Reason for God. And he deals with, with topics like this, um, and I'm going to quote from that a little bit. So let me just start, uh, before I go too long, with a bit of a philosophical aspect, right? I'm going to try to do this fairly quickly. I'm going to give you a couple of quotes. Um, if you're not currently a follower of Jesus, these are not quotes from the Bible. These are quotes from some thinkers. Some of them grew up as an atheist and later uh, became Christians. But I want to give you three reasons why a good God and suffering can philosophically or theoretically coexist in this world. Are you ready? Great. Because uh, if you're not, I'm going to do it anyway. Um, <laughs> so, the philosophical approach. First of all, evil and suffering is no evidence against the existence of God. Evil and suffering is now evidence against the existence of God. There's this thinking um, in our society that 
and, and which actually comes from a bit of a philosophical book called The, Thea, uh, the, um, um, the Miracle of Thea, Theism, which was written uh, the, day, the, the year I was born. Um, but there's some thinking that, um, and, and this is what the book describes, uh, if there is a good God, um, um, of, or, or if, um, sorry, um, be, um, that a, if a good God and a powerful God exists, then by definition, he shouldn't allow any useless suffering. If a good God exists and a powerful God, then by definition, he shouldn't allow any suffering. So the thinking is, because there's so much injustice, uh, therefore, um, maybe there is a God, but it surely couldn't be the God of this, or the loving God of the Bible. And I think a lot of people these days struggle. I think this is a major obstacle for people to receive Christ uh, or, or become a follower of Jesus because people cannot console this, um, these two things in one. And there's a bit of, a, of an understandable error of thinking, but it, but it, is, uh, but it, is, um, it is probably an error of thinking, which is uh, that we think that if evil is pointless to us, then therefore it must be pointless. But let me just... Let me just say this, that we live in a society where we are starting to have, put a lot of faith and trust in our intellectual faculty, in our thinking. We've come to a point, I saw um, an old video with Richard Dawkins, an atheistic thinker, who believes that, a lot of, that there's a lot of scientific explanation for a lot of things that we don't know or that we find difficult, and that eventually all difficult things will eventually be explained by science. I think we've come to a point um, of awareness in science. And by the way, we're not against science in this church. We love science. As a matter of fact, I believe that your pastor actually studied science a little bit. Um, not Pastor Lisby, but Pastor Steve. But, but we, so we totally um, uh, love it. But I think there's a lot of... Um, we, have, we have a lot of, lot of faith in our thinking. As a matter of fact, if we feel, if we think that we cannot find a reason for something, we think that therefore there must not be a reason. But has it? But, but I would like to encourage you to um, to realize that there are there are probably things that we will never understand. I want to encourage you with the thought that science has been evolving over uh, decades, and that science will evolve over the ages, and that there are things that science cannot really explain right now, and there are probably things that science will not be able to explain in the future. Tim Keller, he says this, he says, just because you can't see or imagine a good reason why God might allow something um, uh, to happen, doesn't mean there can't be one. He says, we see lurking within this thinking, a supposedly hard, or in this supposedly hard-nosed skepticism, an enormous faith in one's own cognitive faculties. If our minds can plumb the depths of the universe for, for, uh, for good answers to suffering, well, then it can be anything. He says, this is, a blind, this is a blind faith of a high order. So, just because we don't understand things that we've gone through, just because we, we, we think that they are... Pointless. It doesn't necessarily mean they are pointless. I'm not saying, though, that there are good reasons for your suffering. I'm just saying that um, there are things in life that we don't understand. Right? The second thought I, uh, I want to the second thought I want to share with you is that experience teaches us that bad circumstances often lead to better outcomes. Bad circumstances often lead to better outcomes. 
I want to be careful with this. Because I don't want people to go and tell people who are suffering in the freshness of their pain, look, this will all be for the good. Right? I think we need to be sensitive. And the Bible teaches us to weep with those who weep and to mourn with those who mourn. So this is not really something that I want to sort of like shoot at people who are suffering. As a matter of fact, I want to, I want to give you these statements as a person who has experienced walking through this um, myself. So I have had to sort of uh, come to, to terms with these uh, lines of thinking. When it comes to the pain and the disappointment and the questions that we've experienced with our daughter having a particular syndrome, I would say that I would say that there are parts of it that feel really pointless, and there are parts of it that have felt really unfair. Um, but I would also say that, from a vantage point so a vantage point of several years, that it has done something with me, it has done something with our marriage, it has done something in our family, that I would say that I am still working on it, but I'm, I'm slightly more empathetic. Um, still working on this as well, but I'm slightly more patient. I would say that there are perspectives and a complication of faith that I feel I understand now by personal experience that I, I don't, it's difficult to say that I, I, I'm thankful um, that God has allowed us to experience this. I think that that's a little bit too optimistic. Uh, sometimes you hear people, you, you, sometimes you hear people pray, "God, break me." Don't pray that. <laughs> just don't. Like you, you, you don't want that. You know, there's enough brokenness. Just go uh, work with some broken people. It'll it'll break you. You know, um, uh, just go be part of a church and serve for years, and you know there will be opportunities for you to grow. <laughs> But, uh, I, 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 but I would say that there's a vantage point that we have right now that I don't really want to go without. And so there are pointless, there's po- po- there are pointless elements in their suffering, but suffering is never only pointless and empty. Tim Keller says, he says, with time and perspective, and these two are important before you share your encouraging words with people who are suffering, time and perspective... But with time and perspective, most of us can see God reasons for at least some of the tragedy and pain that occurs in life. I'm not saying all. He's not saying uh, it's all good. But we can see some good outcomes. So my point is this. There is no such thing as purely empty suffering. So suffering is never just pointless. Am I saying that uh, God creates Sickness to teach us a lesson? No, absolutely not. But I am saying that just to say these things are pointless is probably a little bit too, um, it's probably lacking a little bit of perspective. How was that for nuancing something? Third thought I want to share with you philosophically, and then I want to get more into my personal uh, way of dealing with this, is that injustice and suffering is more an argument for the existence of God than against the existence of God. Injustice and suffering is actually an indication that God does exist. Now you have to think about this, because some of you are like, show me. (laughs) Um, And I fully understand that. But listen, think about this. There are situations that we've seen. There 
there are injustices that we've seen happen in the world. It could be like a tsunami. It could be like, like a natural disaster. It could be a friend or a family member that you've seen suffer, right? Now, the feeling that it, that, that instigates in you immediately is this feeling of anger or frustration. Um, it might cause you to question uh, things, but it feels unfair. Am I correct? Like every single time you see an injustice, there is this sense that it just, it just feels wrong. It feels unnatural. There is something in us that is, um, that is giving us an awareness of what is just and what is not just. And that feeling of injustice, the question is, where does that come from? Because when something feels so wrong and so unjust, we have to sort of come to grips with the fact there is a right and a wrong. There, there is light and there is darkness. There is righteousness and there is injustice. And, if, and, that, and that, that feeling is somewhat unexplainable unless there is good and bad. And I would say um, it could be more of an indication that there is a God and that there is evil than that there is nothing. Because if there is, if there is nothing, where does our morality come from? If we look at the animal kingdom and the survival of the fittest and evolution in, in that sense... Like, if that's the, the value that we live with, think about it. The weak get weaker, and the strong get stronger. Survival of the fittest. I'm not saying that we're against evolution and all that sort of stuff, but let's just think about it. Like, like if we take that into our human experience, all of a sudden, when the strong gets stronger, hello, anybody ever heard of capitalism? When the strong gets stronger and the weak get weaker, it feels somewhat unfair. I didn't say that capitalism is wrong. Did I, did I just say that, Sipka? I think I might have, I might have, I might have referred to that. I didn't, I didn't mean to say that at all. But, but it, it feels like this is wrong. So for animals, it's right, but not for humans because we, we have this sense of there's a human dignity. There's a human experience that is different. There's a, there's a value in humanity. There are human rights. There are no, well, there are some animal rights, but not inherently good or bad. Are there? <laughs> but, um, but there's this sense of morality. C.S. Lewis, who actually was an atheist before he wrote this, so this is more a reflection on himself, he wrote this, he says, My argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? Listen to this, he says, Of course, I could have given up my idea of justice by saying that it was nothing but a private idea of my own. But if I did that, then my argument against God would collapse too. For the argument depended on saying that the world was really unjust, not simply that it did not happen to please my private fancies. Fancy language, right? Um, consequently, atheism, he says, as a self-reflective statement, not as a reflective, not as a statement on all atheists that are here in this room, maybe. But he says, atheism turns out to be too simple for me. Um, in my personal atheistic approach, he mentions. It's very fascinating, isn't it? That there's this sense of justice. There's this sense of injustice. And the very emotions that can sometimes cause us to condemn God. Because how can there be a good God if there is suffering? It's the very emotion that we have to figure out where does it come from. And C.S. Lewis said, I can either say, I'm going to live without any morals, or I'm going to come to grips with the fact that my, my morals are an indication, an argument that there is actually light and darkness and good and bad. So they're more an indication. And so I said all this 
I spent all this time just simply to say, there is the possibility, philosophically or theoretically, of a good God in the same space as injustice and suffering. I'm not saying that your suffering is good or created by God, but let me just get into my personal experience. Are you ready for that? Are you ready for more? We only have two hours to go, so no, I'm just kidding. We actually have 13 minutes and 11 seconds to go. Um, but, um, but so, personally, how did I deal with this? I've heard some of the stories of your talk show on your podcast, which was amazing. I, I think it was so amazing to see people share. Uh, I, 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 and I was really impressed with the vulnerability in that. But the question, obviously, is we're not just here to talk about suffering. We're also here to talk about God. And can I also just preface this with saying, I love all my daughters. I love all my children. Not in the same way, but I love them equally. Let me also say this, that um, you can also invite me for the serious unexpected when it comes to unexpected blessings, because we've experienced a lot, right? So my my life, let me just say with Southern American accent, ain't just bad. My life is pretty good. Um, And so so if I take the complete summary of my life, I would say, we're super blessed. We're, we've got nothing to complain about, right? So I just want to put that statement out there, just in case you think, like, I'm the expert in suffering. Now we're the expert in being blessed. Um, and there's been a little bit of suffering. And there's never such a thing as only having blessed experiences or only having dark experiences. There's always somewhat of a mix. This has always puzzled me a little bit. How could Abraham be so blessed and yet say to God, God, how can you bless me unless you give me an, an heir. How can, people saw Abraham's chariot. Like they saw the sound system in his chariot. They're thinking, he's a rich man. He's blessed. You know, they saw his 400 servants. Abraham defeated kings. But yet there was, there was, there was this longing in his life. And there was this mix of amazing, unexpected blessings and unexpected trouble. And your life will always be a mix. Don't, don't think that when you get out of your current trouble situation, um, that you will get into a full state of blessing. There will always be a mixing. I'm sorry to prophesy this over your life, but there will always be somewhat of a mix. That's why we're human beings. Um, that was not my point, though. Um, uh, the, the, the thought I want to share with you is that Jesus takes our suffering personally. Jesus takes our suffering personally. I, I, had this, I had this problem that, okay, maybe God could allow this to happen in, in my life and in my wife's life, and maybe he saw that we were strong enough to deal with this or whatever it was. But what about my daughter? Like, how fair is it to her? And I had this sense that God said to me, she is my daughter too. And I sort of had this perspective thinking, I care about my my daughter, and I do, absolutely. But God cares about her way more. And I think it is important to understand that God... Doesn't ju- God is not just able to place himself or to identify with our suffering. God is not just sympathizing with our problems. God doesn't say, look, I understand. But have you ever said this to somebody when somebody's suffering and you're like, I understand. And then you sort of, so then you sort of repent and you're like, 
Now, to be quite honest, I have never experienced anything like you. I, I really don't. Have you ever done that? I do it all the time. Because when some people go through stuff, I'm like, yeah, I understand. Because I think about my experience and I think, but I haven't experienced what you've experienced. You know, the thing about Jesus is that he actually took upon himself the suffering of humanity. He didn't say, and there's no other religion. There's actually, I wouldn't call Christianity a religion. I would call it a relationship. But there's no other religion that, that's, that, that explains to us that a deity, a God, a holy God would come down to earth and would become a part of the human experience and then would take upon him the worst punishment of all and then would become sin, would be, become part of the problem. And Jesus isn't just sympathizing with our problems. He is identifying with our problems because he went through them personally. So he doesn't say, I understand from a distance. He's, he said, I took it upon myself. And let me, he, he took it upon himself, yes, to heal us, and yes, to deliver us. And he did that in our place, so we don't have to suffer all these things the same. And so that is the message of the cross. But let me also say that there's a part of the message is, is that God understands every single tear you've shed and every single um, moment of darkness you felt because Jesus was on the cross and he said, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you realize how personal that is? And so I started to realize Jesus literally identifies with all my pain. He, he wept every tear that I could ever weep and more. Because he didn't take upon him my personal suffering. He took upon himself the suffering of the world. There's this song. Oh, no, 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 let me read this. Let me read this to you. This is amazing. Tim Keller says, Why does God allow evil and suffering to continue? He says, As we look at the cross of Jesus, we still do not know what the answer is. However, we do know what the answer isn't. It can't be that he doesn't love us. It can't be that he's indifferent or detached from our situation. <laughs> A God who doesn't care about our suffering, who wouldn't be bothered to go to the cross. There's this song from, actually not from Cheryl Crow, she, uh, she um, covered it with this dark, nice, dirty guitar lick on the background, uh, called, um, and it goes like this, um, why, what if God was one of us? Just a stranger on the bus. Try to make his way home. Nobody calling on the phone. I don't think that's the biggest picture of human suffering, but let's, let's go with it, right? Let's go with it. But it's, it's, it's kind of like, a, like this cynical song, isn't it? Because the song, the song um, somewhat um, concludes uh, or go, taps into this thinking that, of course, a holy and good and righteous God, you know, like... A religious God would never care about us, couldn't care about his suffering, because here he is in heaven, having champagne and proseccos and, and sun all day long, and, and he doesn't have our climate and everything, no climate change in heaven, people, is amazing. And, and so, so he has this, this great experience, and then he says from a distance, I love you. And that's kind of like what that song says. It's like, of course, a God wouldn't care. But then, but then we begin to understand that the gospel describes that he did become one of us. 
I wouldn't go as far as to say that he was a stranger on the bus trying to wake his way home and nobody calling on the phone, but let me just say this, that he was definitely a person who was denied. He was a person who was misunderstood. He was a person who understood lon- the loneliness of leadership, and he became part of our life. He, he wove himself into the f- fabric of humanity, and he became part of our history, and he, and he became part of us. He was one of us. Cheryl Crow, wake up. You know? Or ever wrote that song. You know who wrote the song, Peter? No. You need to, you need to Google that. I would like to mention that in two minutes. No, I'm kidding. No, I'm just, 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 just kidding. Tim Keller says, we can know that God is truly Emmanuel. God with us. That's what that means. Even in our worst sufferings. See, there's people who believe that God is only with us. God is only with me when I'm on top of my game. So God is with me when I'm blessed. God is with me when my job is going well. God is with me when my kids are healthy. God is with me when my church is growing. God is with me when I'm healthy. But then other circumstances happen, and it's like, oh, he's not with me anymore. But I want to tell you that God has always been with you. God was with me when I suffered. God was with me when I was confused. God was with me when I had questions. Oh, let me encourage you with this. God was with me at moments that I did not have any faith for it. Peter fell through the water. He looked at Jesus, and what was the first thing that happened? Jesus helped him. And sometimes I think, oh man, this is not in my notes, it's not in my thinking at all. But sometimes I think that we, we think that faith is perfection. If I can just have perfect faith. Jesus never spoke about perfect faith. Jesus spoke about seed faith. He says if you've got faith as small as a mustard seed, there's probably a lot of doubt in that mustard seed. There's probably a, a lot of doubt. Am I going to be able to become a, a big fat tree? Like how do you think the self-confidence is in the seed bag of other seeds? He's like, I'm the smallest seed. But Jesus says, if you can use the small faith you have, your faith doesn't have to be perfect. God is with you in your problems. Okay, let's keep going. Right. <laughs> yeah, amazing. Love that. That was, a good, that was a good bit of the sermon, would you say? That was a really good bit. Um, last thought. Are you ready? Maybe the band can come up. Last thought. God is not the author, but the chief editor of our sufferings. Oh, man. First of all, uh, I, I, I'm not going to tell you the scripture about how I received, uh, how I came to know the scripture, but it became very personal for me before Emily was born, actually. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And then he says this, listen to this, God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. Let me just say this, it talks about he will not allow you to be tempted. He will not allow you to suffer. It doesn't say that he will not create any suffering. God is not the author of suffering. He isn't. He didn't create the suffering for you. He didn't, he didn't put it on you so, you so you can learn a lesson. But he did allow it. But then he says, he doesn't allow you to be tempted um, beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can what? Endure it. I begin to understand that suffering in some ways is a compliment from God. Because... God understands what you can handle and then there's a lot more that you can handle than what you think with the grace of God 
Now we begin to understand that God is not the author, but he's the editor-in-chief. In other words, he is able to work all things toward good. And that can become so cheesy in church. But when it's real to you, there's some people here who 20 years ago, you had things being spoken over your children. You had situations in your life, and you, and you thought it was the end of things. You thought that was, that was, the, that was the publication. That was the way it was going to go. That was the story of your life. But you've discovered that you're still here. Am I right? And, and, and I think with time and perspective, you understand, you understand God is the editor-in-chief. He rewrote my story. It was supposed to be a story of darkness, but he made it a story of light. I find that God uses your personal story to, to really produce a message. Then there's something other, another scripture that has been really helpful. I sneaked in Romans 8, 28. Did you see that? Uh, but I, I just didn't have time for that. Um, but then the um, last thing I want to read is, 2 Corinthians 4.17, he says, for, this is Paul saying, and he says, for, maybe you can see it on the screen, for a light affliction, which is what but for a moment. Let me just say, first of all, the Bible doesn't teach us to say that our pain is not really pain. Paul's saying it's an affliction. Let me also say that we shouldn't call anybody else's afflictions light. We cannot say, your affliction is light. He says, my light affliction. So he's not denying his problem. He's just saying, I've come to a place in God where I understand now that my reflection is really um, that, that there is a grace in God where I can carry the weight and the, uh, of the burden of my life. He says, my affliction, which is what for a moment is working for us, a far more, listen to this, a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. How does he do that? Paul, how do you do that? Give me a, just one little hint of a key. How can you live with such big and long enduring problems in your life and actually call them light by the grace of God without lying about it, without actually being authentic about it? He says, well, the things which are, or, for we do not look at the things which are seen, for the things, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I don't want to call your burden light. But I do want to say that there's a grace that God can give to you so you can carry the weight of your life and actually authentically experience that it's lighter. Why did Jesus say, if you do not repent, you will, also, you will die of your sin in the same way? What Jesus was saying is, your perspective of life is very temporal, is very earthly, is very physical. So they were talking about these people who physically died but Jesus said I am concerned about that it's not like I don't sympathize I mentioned that but he does say but I'm more concerned about your eternal life and I feel that there's an awareness of eternity that yes life is good and yes God wants to bless you in this life and yes you don't have to wait to get to heaven to the sweet by and by until God will bless you but let me also say that there is a bigger perspective. There is an eternal life. There is a bigger purpose. There is something way bigger. And if you can live for that, you can find fulfillment and not just happiness. Let me pray for every person who feels this is a message for you. And then I want to talk to you. Well, thank you for listening today. I want to take a few more moments of your time. Because it may be today you realize that you need to get your relationship right with Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never 
asked him into your life before. Or maybe for some reason you've been, you've been moving away from him. And today I want to invite you to come back to him. Or it may be that you're just not sure you're going to heaven. And so I want to lead you in a prayer right now. And I would really love for you to say this prayer with me. And then straight after this prayer, I would love you to do something for me. But hey, let's pray right now. Dear God, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that he died for me. I ask that you would forgive me. I turn away from my past and I give you my life. Come and live in me. I thank you that today I am saved. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you prayed that prayer, today the Holy Spirit has done something in your life. And so I want you to tell us about it. I want you to email info at c3amsterdam.nl and let us know you've made this decision and let us have your address because I'd love to send you a book that will help you make this decision really strong and become a follower of Jesus. And we'll also be able to help you get planted in a church near you. God bless you.